Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. Today is the feast day of St. Vincent de Paul. Pray for us. A lot to talk about today. By the way, if you like what you hear, you can support the show by sharing the full show link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio and our YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead. Share those with your friends and evangelize everyone you love. This is the Terry and Jesse Show. Holy Hour of Power, I'm reporting for duty. Several things I'd like to talk about today. Of course, the month of September is devoted to Our Lady of Sorrows. The month is almost over. Our Lady of Sorrows is a devotion given to us by St. Bridget of Sweden. Back, She died in 1373 A.D. During the month of September, devoted, devoted to Our Lady of Sorrows, we are invited to console the sorrowful heart of Mary and to unite our sufferings to hers and by doing so to receive beautiful graces of consolation and strength. The instructors at Libra Cristo teach that it's helpful to do a novena to Our Lady of Sorrows, asking her to reveal any vices, any sins, any generational spirits that may be plaguing a person or a fa- or family line. According to the church's tradition, because Our Lady went through different sorrows, she merited different things. One of the things that she merited while standing beneath the cross was the ability to reveal hidden things, and she knows them more than anyone else in heaven except for God because of her closeness to Him. Our Lady is the one to go to for secret knowledge. As the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 35, And you yourself a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many may be revealed. Close quote. So, what our Lord is revealing through St. Simeon is, if there's something that you need to know that's hidden, you go to her specifically under the title of Our Lady of Sorrows, and she will reveal it to you. She can give graces to reveal to root the roots of these problems, since her heart was pierced, so that our hearts may be exposed or would be exposed and she could reveal the, the thoughts of our hearts to many. couple of uh, news items before I get into today's gospel. The California bishops are blasting Gavin Newsom's billboards. Hear, hear. California Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom recently launched a billboard campaign advertising and encouraging women from pro-life states to visit California to abort their babies. What a sick puppy. This guy's a sick man. But those billboards, that in itself, was not enough to merit the condemnation of California's bishops. But to top it off, the billboards included a Bible verse from Jesus Christ. Kathleen Domingo Executive Director of the California Catholic Conference of Bishops says it is unconscionable that these ads distort Scripture to support abortion, especially in states that have already dramatically limited abortion in favor of supporting life. Close quote. Another another, uh, um, bit of information for your need-to-know file. Pricey gas changes... Everything. Yep, high gas high gas prices are more than just a nuisance at the pump. 
they affect the price of almost everything else as well. For example, price for goods such as food, clothing, and household goods are higher than they otherwise would be since gas and diesel play an important role in supply chains. You can read all the details in this analysis from the Daily Signal. Another need-to-know item is most Democrats want Biden out. A new ABC News Washington Post poll found that 56% of Democratic Democratic registered and Democratic-leaning voters want someone other than Joe Biden to top their party's 2024 presidential ticket. Biden hit new lows in approval among liberals, 68%, and black adults, 31%, in the same poll. Finally, for your need-to-know file, is Americans snub the latest COVID booster. Did you know that fewer than 2% of eligible Americans have elected to receive a new COVID booster shot that was recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, on September 1st. While more than 4.4 million Americans have received a bivalent COVID booster shot, only 1.5% of people for whom the shot is available have actually gotten it since the CDC started recommending it several weeks ago. So more, most people are shining on the government mandate and they are seeing that this is just another government scam to train and control people to accept Marxism. Let's take a look at today's gospel. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. And the Holy Gospel reads as follows. When the days for Jesus to be taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for for his reception there. But they would not welcome him because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A couple of things that jump out at me here. Where it says, on the way they entered a Samaritan village. The Samaritans were enemies of the Jews. They were Jewish half-breeds that hated the Jews. And the Jews hated them because they had intermarried uh, with Gentiles. They were called Samaritans. And so Jesus is walking through his village in Samaria. And it says, to prepare his reception there. But they would not welcome him because the destination of his Jerusalem was journey. It was Jerusalem, excuse me. So the Samaritans were thinking, okay, Jesus Christ is going to visit us. They're going to accept him. Then they find out, no, he just passed him by. He's actually going to Jerusalem. So they did not welcome him Samaria. Again, because there was an incredible rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. Because the Jews saw themselves, again, as the chosen people of God, as was given to them in the Old Testament. 
the Samaritans had intermarried with, with Gentiles, so they were considered Jewish half-breeds, and there was this tension amongst them. Here's something else that jumps out at me. It says, when the disciple James and John saw this, they asked. J- James and John, first of all, were brothers, and the Bible also called them sons of thunder. It's very interesting that they're asking for fire to come down from heaven, and that's actually their names, or sons of thunder. Here's another verse that jumps out at me. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? So James and John are upset because the Samaritans have basically rebuked Jesus. They've shined him on. They haven't welcomed him like they should. And so he says, can I call fire? We call fire down from heaven to obviously punish them and destroy them. This this kind of recalls what Elijah did. Uh, Elijah called fire down from heaven upon the animal sacrifice uh, in the presence of the 450 priests of Baal. And they saw the power of God bring fire down from heaven and cook the sacrifice that Elijah had put on the altar. And right after that, Elijah performed a little inquisition on them and he slit their throats. This also calling fire down from heaven, it, it also reminds us that God brought fire down from heaven to two wicked cities that were right next to each other, Sodom and Gomorrah. He called fire down from heaven to this, uh, to destroy these cities because these cities were rampant with homosexual practice. And then we also know that Our Lady of Akita, Japan, in 1973, says that if men don't repent from their sins, that God will call fire from heaven. So this fire from heaven is a biblical eschatological way for God to get our attention. Finally, it says, Jesus turned and rebuked them and they journeyed to another village. In other words, Jesus rebuked them and says, hey guys, it's not my mission right now. This isn't the second coming. This is my first coming, the first coming of Christ. My first coming. I'm coming as, as the Lamb of God. I'm coming here to save, to, to die for the sins of the world. At the second coming, don't worry, fire will fall from heaven. Hey, so who is St. Vincent de Paul? Today's his feast day. St. Vincent de Paul was born in Gascony, France. He was ordained a Catholic priest, but he was not quite 20. Two years later, he wrote that he was seeking a comfortable parish situation. Eventually, he came under the influence of Cardinal Pierre de Barulli with his emphasis on the humanity of Christ and St. Francis de Sales, who taught of God's tender mercy. St. Vincent de Paul was moved by the needs of the poor, and with St. Louis de Merillac, he founded the Daughters of Charity to care for the marginalized. He sent the priests of the congregation of the mission to bring Christ to rural populations. Vincent died in 1660. He's a patron of the parish-based society of St. Vincent de Paul, founded in 1833. St. Vincent de Paul, pray for us. Up next, we're going to talk about uh, Mark Houck, what's going on with him. The... Uh, Catholic man whose home was raided by the uh, weaponized FBI. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. I know Mark Houck. He's a good friend of mine. He comes here to Phoenix often and does does retreats for men uh, out in, in northern Arizona. He invites me to the retreats, and uh, 
and I've done several treats, retreats with him together. He's got a ministry to Catholic men. It's called the King's Men. Uh, he's, he's huge into helping men break pornography. He's huge into helping men become pro-life and, uh, and, and to, to see children as a gift and marriage as a gift as well. Well, Biden's Justice Department sent a fully armed SWAT team into the home of, of, a, of full of young children, young Catholic kids at daybreak to arrest a father for protecting his 14-year-old son. And uh, it's good to hear that the Hulk family, they're saying, we're not going to back down. We're not going to back down because they did nothing wrong. And thanks be to God that donations are pouring in for the pro-life father of seven arrested and raided by the FBI SWAT team at his home. Donations are pouring into a give-send-go crowdfunding account for this pro-life activist friend of mine and father of seven who was arrested and had his family home raided by some 20 to 30 FBI agents on Friday like he was some type of Mexican cartel drug lord. Mark Houck, a very good Catholic man, who leads a nonprofit group that provides sidewalk counseling and abortion clinics in Philadelphia, was seemingly targeted by President Joe Biden's Department of Justice over an incident last year involving his then 12-year-old son at a Planned Parenthood abortion facility. Mark Houck protected his son from an aggressive Planned Parenthood escort harassing the 12-year-old Pennsylvania pro-life a- activist Ashley Garrick told the Daily Wire that the case last year against Mark Houck was dismissed by a federal court in Philadelphia when the escort tried to press charges. Uh, Mark Houck and his, and his wife, they're basically asserting, we will not back down, we will not stop fighting to protect the lives of Pennsylvania's unborn children, And we will not tolerate the harassment of our leaders by a corrupt and politicized justice system. And that's that's on the Give Give, Send, Go page for the Houck family. That's what it says on the Give, Send, Go page. The goal of the fundraiser is to collect $75,000, obviously for legal expenses against the FBI, to fight the case for the activist's wife, Ryan Mary Houck. And as of Sunday morning, more than 74,000 had already been donated. Praise be to God. Joe and Ashley Garrick, friends of the Hawks, they created the crowdfunding page. And notably, the couple's daughter in 2019, who was then just 13 and 15 years old, were harassed by by then state rep Brian Sims. He's a Democrat. Brian Sims harassed this 13 and 15 year old for several minutes as they prayed for unborn children outside a Pennsylvania abortion clinic. The crowdfunding page describes Mark Houck's son being harassed and the activist, Mark Houck, the dad, stepping in to protect him. Any dad would have done that. Last year, here's what the, uh, the, give, the Give, Send, Go page reads. It says this. Last year, Mark and his son <clears throat> were praying in front of the Planned Parenthood at 12th and Locust when one of the escorts began harassing Mark's son. They walked down the street away from the entrance of the building. The escort followed them, and when he continued yelling at Mark's son, 
Mark pushed him away. It's all in the video. But that hasn't stopped Planned Parenthood and the Biden administration with no prior warning. And in spite of the fact that Mark is represented by an attorney, Biden's Justice Department sent a fully armed SWAT team into a home full of young children at daybreak to arrest the father for protecting his son. This is, this is despicable. This is disgraceful what Joe Biden is doing. This guy's a fake Catholic. And I'll tell you, fake Catholics are the most dangerous Catholics. Is it, is it I just say that? No. You have popes that actually says, say this. That fake Catholics are very dangerous. Absolutely they are. Pope St. Pius V said all the evils of the world are due to lukewarm Catholics. <laughs> Biden. Fauci. Pelosi. Mallorca. I mean, the list goes on. St. Pius X said, All the strength of Satan's reign is due, to the, is due to the easygoing weakness of Catholics. Pope Leo XIII, For nothing emboldens the wicked so greatly as the lack of courage on the part of the good. You know, for us, and for Mark Houck, obviously, mediocrity is not an option. It's not an option for him. It's not an option for us. Because in our love for God, our walk in, our walk in, in this life as Christians is an uphill battle towards heaven. If we don't stop moving forward, you just, you just don't stand still. You start moving backwards. And boy, oh boy, you don't want to be caught dead being a lukewarm Christian when you, when you enter into the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus says, and this is a warning to Biden and Pelosi and Fauci and others, Revelation 3.15, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Thanks be to God that all this is on video. And this uh, this couple, that, that their friends, Joe and Ashley Garrick, they're, they're friends with the, the Hawks. The Garricks say that the fund raised through the campaign will help the family with any necessary expenses. Please go to that page. Your generosity is greatly appreciated. The link is on this, is on this article. Just go to the webpage, vmpr.org, and grab this article, vmpr, or go to jesseromero.com and grab the article. And the link, the article is, quote, we will not back down. The, uh, donations pour in for pro-life father of seven arrested, raided by FBI SWAT team at home. And the article uh, is once again, it's put out by the Daily Wire, by the way. It's put out by the Daily Wire. This is one of ours. This is one of those pro, one of our pro-life heroes. Your generosity is greatly appreciated. Let's show the Hulk family that they're not alone. While we show Planned Parenthood and its militant pro-abortion allies that the pro-life community will not be silenced by fear and intimidation. You know, it's, it's funny, but the U.S. has a double standard right now. When uh, the 
the left is in power, they have a double standard for justice. Why do I say that? There's a long list of felons from the Obama administration, notably Obama himself, together with Hillary Clinton, Susan Rice, James Comey, Andrew McCabe. They all appear to be immune from prosecution. Meanwhile, Republicans who have done nothing other than support Donald Trump have been persecuted and prosecuted. If you're conservative and expect to receive justice right now under the Biden administration, you're in the wrong country. Anyone who agrees with the liberal playbook can expect all the justice and fairness that money can buy. But if you're conservative and a Trump supporter, justice and fair play do not apply to you. The Justice Department, FBI, CIA, and other federal agencies have taken have been taken over by left-wingers of the deep state. And you know how they dole out justice? With special hatred for conservatives on a daily basis. Let me give you four examples outside of Mark Houck that really get under my skin. Let's begin with the campaign against Donald Trump. This once revered institution called the FBI and CIA were engaged in a plot against a presidential candidate they did not like. And after this candidate became president, they doubled down on their attempts to destroy him. Here's another example of uh, the left trying to destroy people of faith, patriots and conservatives. The IRS under Obama deliberately applied intensive scrutiny against conservative conservative political groups that were applying for tax-exempt status. Here's another example. The Soviet-style raids on the homes of Trump supporters, like Paul Manafort, Roger Stone. Heck, last, last month, the FBI agents converged on the California home of entrepreneur George E. Dixon III. Dixon was linked to efforts by former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani a former major Trump supporter, to raise $10 million to produce a documentary related to Hunter Biden, son of President Joe Biden. (laughs) But but his home was also um, suddenly raided. I wonder why. And here's the last example that I can demonstrate that gives me concern for the demonstrators from the January 6th Capitol they call it the capital assault. They've been languishing in jail in solitary confinement for months with no charges filed and no bail. Some elements of that day may have been planned by non-Trump supporters with the knowledge of the FBI. And there's other evidence that police opened the doors in some sections to let the demonstrators inside the building. There is a video that demonstrates this. Yet, Democrats have labeled the event an insurrection. (laughs) Yeah, you got police opening the gates and opening the building inside and waving people to come in. Attorney General Merrick Garland, this guy should be ashamed of himself. How can he look himself in the mirror every day? He referred to the January 6th event as an invasion. Merrick Garland said it was the most dangerous threat to American democracy ever. According to Steve McCann, an American thinker, Garland identified the protesters as domestic terrorists, which has become a euphemism 
for Republicans. Wow. Up next, I'm going to want you to hear a short little video of a brave young girl. It's an 18-year-old girl who's leading the fight to protect children from transgender surgeries. The clip's about six minutes long, but boy, oh boy, is she good. She puts it out there. And uh, she's, again, she's a victim of the sex reassignment surgery. Her name is Chloe Cole. So up next, we're going to hear a short little video from Chloe Cole as she talks about the dangers of transgender surgeries. How does she know? She's a victim. We'll be right back. Terry and Jesse show. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. I want you to hear a brave young girl. Her name is Chloe Cole. She was young when she made a mistake. She got a transgender surgery, sex reassignment surgery. That happened when she was uh, at the age of 15. Of course, she's a young girl. Uh, you know, she's being bombarded with social media and uh, in, in, the, in the public schools that, hey, you've got to experiment with your sex and maybe you're with, maybe uh, you're something else. And so she was bamboozled into going through sex reassignment surgery. She's now speaking out against it. Her name is Chloe Cole. Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? Over the past decade, there has been as high as a 4000 percent increase in children being referred to so-called gender clinics across the United States. I was one of these children. My name is Chloe Cole, and I'm an 18-year-old former transgender child. I transitioned from the age of 12 up until 16 when I realized it all was a lie. My story is a cautionary tale. Children and parents across the country have been caught off guard by gender ideology. Discussions about gender, transgenderism and gender identity went from being a relatively benign social oddity to a doctrine that has invaded nearly every academic, medical, and educational institution, seemingly overnight. How did we get to this point? How did we get to the point where nearly every pediatric institution in the country considers it best practice to remove the healthy breast tissue of children while administering drugs typically used to chemically castrate high-risk sex offenders? Raising these important questions is not bigoted, and the refusal of activists give straightforward answers should be seen as a major red flag. People across the entire political spectrum who believe that this practice is morally wrong have been told that they are fascists or bigots for even questioning this atrocity. Others have been convinced by self-proclaimed gender specialists that this is the only treatment that will not end in your child committing suicide. I believe Americans deserve to know the truth about this radical and perverse ideology marketed as necessary and life-saving healthcare I was only 12 years old when I told my parents that I was a boy. Like many parents in that situation, they didn't have a clue what to do. They were scared and desperate for answers. They wanted what every parent wants for their child, for me to be okay and thrive. At 13 years old, on the advice of so-called medical professionals, I was put on puberty-blocking medication. And only a month later, I was given my first testosterone injection. 
the gender clinic presented my parents with the, with the classic false dichotomy regarding children with gender dysphoria. Would you rather have a dead daughter or a, a living son? <laughs> Given these options, what loving parent wouldn't choose to transition their child? Scared for my life. My parents were prepared to sign anything the doctors asked. This was not, con that, this was not informed consent. It was a decision forced under extreme duress. At 15, I went under the knife for a radical double mastectomy, the kind that breast cancer patients get. This was after I was sexually assaulted at school by a male student. I, I just told myself to man up, but I lived my life in constant hatred of my breasts. I started binding, which deformed my breasts as well as my ribcage. I was afraid and I couldn't wait to finally protect my body from the threat of further molestation. At 16, I finally realized what happened to me, and that I had made a huge mistake. I realized the beauty of motherhood was stolen from me by medical professionals who my family entrusted me to. I realized after maturing a bit more that a child does not in fact know who they are at 12 years old. I realized that I wanted to be what I always was and forever will be, a woman. With this realization came a series of challenges that were far worse than the transition. Somehow, I had to get myself off these drugs and tell everyone in my entire life that I was not who I said I was. My parents were shocked and felt like they failed me on every level imaginable. My friends all turned against me because I was evidence that their beliefs were a lie. I was a joke. I was a fraud. I was many years behind in development and capable of feeding, of, incapable of feeding my future children and worst of all, completely alone. Even the medical professionals who got me into this mess now have no idea what to do with me, and they refused to help me. It almost killed me, as it has killed many who regret transition. The big question still remains. I was a 12-year-old introduced to the idea that they could do something as ridiculous as change their sex. I was and still am the type of kid that never really fit into social norms. I was a tomboy, I was shy, I didn't socialize easily. At 11, I made my first Instagram account. I had unmonitored internet access. It wasn't long until I was exposed to a ton of LGBTQ content online, and I, I had never seen anything like it. You mean that all I have to do is subscribe to this ideology, and then I'm an accepted, celebrated, and valued member of the most talked about community on Earth? Transgender people are the most celebrated subset of this community. I saw the unbelievable amounts of praise and, and attention they got online, and subconsciously I yearned to have a piece of it. With every milestone in my medical transition, I was given more and more attention and celebration. It was the ultimate high. Even in person, I got more attention. Girls would have crushes on me and I would have people come up to me in the hallways asking to make friends and it was, it was unprecedented to, for me. I felt like a celebrity. Being a kid, I, I didn't know just how superficial these relationships were until they all suddenly abandoned me just for struggling to become who I am. Much of this gender confusion is based on old regressive stereotypes of men and women, which are now being reinforced with hormones and surgeries. Women can have short hair and be interested in playing sports and partaking in physical activities. Men can grow their hair out and wear makeup. It does not change their, it does not change their biology. The truth is, this practice is harming more and more children every day. What will we do to protect this most vulnerable group? Up until now, the media has been parroting the same ideologically driven, driven talking points 
affirm, affirm, affirm. The closest I've touched to mainstream media is a Forbes journalist who wrote a hit piece on me calling basic human biology transphobic. There are many detransitioners speaking out, and they are ignored by the institutions most responsible for the search of truth. Up until today, most politicians on the left and right have done nothing but get into Twitter fights on this issue. There is no second chance at childhood, so we must do our best as adults to guide our children to pathways that lead to healthy bodies and minds instead of depression and disfigurement. No child deserves to suffer under the knife of a gender-affirming surgeon. America's children, all children, deserve better. Thank you. That's a brave young, yeah, young woman. But you can tell by listening to her voice, she sound, you can see the, the way the puberty blockers, the way they've affected her. She sounds like a boy. Hey? It, it, it's a girl. She's a girl. But she sounds just like a boy. So she's been affected horribly as a result of undergoing years of these puberty blockers. And again, she's got this uh, irreversible double mastectomy at the age of 15. So she'll never grow breasts. And so she's never going to know if she's ever, you know, becomes a mother. She's never going to know what it means to to be a mother and to breastfeed a child. I, I, I don't know if she went through all the other particulars uh, in terms of the sex reassignment surgery. But good for her. She's speaking out. And I'm going to tell you why this is very dangerous to allow kids to make a decision that they want to be the opposite sex. I'll tell you why this is this is uh, dangerous. Because doctors, for example, Dr. Sharon Cooper and many, many others, uh, this pediatrician at the University of North Carolina, she says that research has shown that the prefrontal cortex, that's this part of the brain right here, right behind the forehead. The prefrontal cortex... This is the home of good judgment, common sense, impulse control, and emotions is not completely mature until children are between 22 to 20 to excuse me, 20 to 22 years of age. So when you're asking a 13-year-old if you think, you know, telling a little girl you think you're a boy and you want to have sex reassignment surgery, you're talking to a person that doesn't have their brain fully formed. And so it's time, a, a case like this, this this poor girl, what she's been through, and she's going to live like this for the rest of her life, Chloe Cole. It's time for adults to step up and take a stand and take control of this conversation. I read this other article yesterday that said that there's about nine to 10,000 sex reassignment surgeries are performed in the United States every year. I'm going to say that again. About nine to 10,000 sex reassignment surgeries are performed every year in the U.S. Guess what? This is mutilation, the sin of mutilation. This is Frankenstein science. This is trying to make human beings in your own image, in your own likeness. And so, good for this young girl. Hopefully... Hopefully she, I don't know what her faith like is life. Hopefully God touches her heart in such a powerful way that 
God can use her for the rest of her life to be a voice, to protect children's innocence, to speak to the lawmakers, because no child should should suffer under the knife of a gender-affirming surgeon, to use her words, as she said in a press conference. America's children, all children deserve better. And so Chloe Cole, her her bravery, her courage, this is a ray of sunshine in the darkness that's looming over the children today in America. You know, Chloe Cole could easily stay out of the public's eye and live a very much different life, but she has a big heart, and she's chosen to put herself out there, and she's chosen to sound the alarm of the irreversible damage being done to children at the hands of trusted health care providers. She was asked after the interview, if she was happy, and Chloe Cole, her, her face broke into a smile, and she nodded. She said, I'm a lot happier today. Doing what I'm doing now has given me a purpose. That's something I've been seeking for quite a while. She sure has a purpose. God bless you, Chloe Cole. God be with you. Up next, we're going to talk about the Catholic Church. Is the mother of modern science. Did you know that? <laughs> now, the Catholic Church is not anti-science. It actually gave us science. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. So a lot of people say, hey, you Catholics are anti-science. Really? Are you kidding me? The Catholic Church is the mother of modern science. In civilization after civilization, science has been stillborn. But in Christendom, science has flourished and has brought achievements like the James Webb Space Telescope. I beg you, my child, to look at the heavens and the earth and see everything that is in them and recognize that God did not not make them out of things that existed and in the same way the human race came into being. Close quote. Guess where those words come from, the Old Testament? Those are those words are spoken by the, a mother to her son who is about to be martyred for his faith. Yeah, this passage is from the second book of, of Maccabees and it expresses the fascination with God's handiwork that the ancient D- Jews held. The Jews held like we as Catholics believe. Creatio ex nihilo or creation out of nothing. It was introduced into the world into the world consciousness through the scriptures of the Hebrews. The church fathers followed this belief, arguing against the Neoplatonists who held the world to be a part of God. But the recently launched James Webb Space Telescope has been capturing images of deep space that are even more impressive than its predecessor, the Hubble Space Telescope. One of the earliest concepts of the telescope originated with the 13th century Francis Roger Bacon. In a paper he wrote in 1260, he described the possibility of a magnifying instrument. A small army may appear, a very great one. He also prophesied that man will be able to study the moon and the stars in great detail. 
Back in the 13th century, he said this. This astounding concept would not be realized until patents and construction of telescopes began in the early 17th century. When one studies the history of science, it immediately becomes clear that there was something about the Western world that gave rise to modern, modern science. But why is this? This is deeply fascinating. And it fascinated Benedictine father, Stanley Jackie. He was influenced by the pioneer work of physicist and historian of science, Pierre Duhem. Father Jackie devoted his academic life to studying the relationship between faith and science, and more specifically, the rise of science and the, and the involvement of Christianity in the process. Father Jackie, through studying the entirety of the history of science, identified what he referred to as stillborn moments of science, instances of scientific genius that have never resulted in establishing the scientific method as a discipline in a given culture. He found this to be the case in many ancient cultures, Egypt, Babylon, India, China, Greece, and the Muslim world. Father Jackie, his discovery was that it was, it was the pervasive worldview of these cultures, Egypt, Babylon, India, China, Greece, and even the Muslim world, that stifled any development of science. Now, to give a little bit of credit where credit is due, the Muslim world, they did better for a time than the Egyptians, Babylonians, Indians, Chinese, and the, and the Greeks, because the Muslims, they had access to Greek text. Yet ultimately, philosophy and reason were rejected by Islamic regimes to make way for the supremacy of Allah and the Quran as the sole explanators for the world. The Quran contradicted philosophy and what appears in nature. So it was reasoned, therefore, these disciplines had to be condemned. For the Quran, according to the Muslim, was the ultimate arbiter of truth. But what separated these cultures, Egypt, Babylon, India, uh, China, Greece, and the Muslim world. What separated these cultures from the Western world? I'll tell you what it was. The fact that the, in the Western world, we operate using faith and reason. The Muslim world believes in the Quran alone. And some of these other civilizations... They were, they were still dabbling into myths. Or... But in the West, it was really Christianity. Benedictine monasteries preserved these ancient manuscripts amid barbarians warring for control of the remnants of the Roman Empire. When unified kingdoms finally prospered, promotion of education instilled a love for learning in the Christian West, inevitably resulting in the creation of universities at the turn of the millennium, with one of the oldest being the University of Oxford, established around 1096 AD. While initially focused on teaching for priests, most people probably didn't know that, Oxford University, one of the oldest <coughs> Catholic universities, 
was established for teaching priests. The freedom of debate allowed by the scholastic process was primed for the introduction of scientific fields. Acquiring more Greek texts preserved by Arabs aided this process. Arguably, arguably the most salient date that allowed scientific study to formalize was March 7th, 1277, when Catholic Bishop Stephen Tempier of Paris, France, condemned 219 Aristotelian concepts. This was significant for the condemnations resulting in freedom from the eternality and purposelessness of creation. The propositions had stifled the growth of science in antiquity. Science could be separated from animistic worldviews, with the distinction between God and creation solidified and the team personalization of nature promoted. Educated medieval Christians could point to Scripture in support of a systematic study of nature. For example, in the book of Sirach, he has said in order the splendors of his wisdom, he is from all eternity one and the same. We also read in the book of Wisdom uh, how desirable are, are all his works and how sparkling they are to see. The book of Wisdom also affirms that God arranged all things by measure and number and weight, implying order in the universe that could be studied and quantified. Recognition of laws of nature was fundamental in the development of science, and it was only among the Christian West that the study of nature became recognized and a respected discipline. And because of this, we now have wonderful advancements in technology such as the James Webb Space Telescope. Karen Oberg, a professor of astronomy at Harvard University, specializing in astrochemistry as well as a devout and practicing Catholic, told, told us the following, quote, I find it wonderful that we are, we are building new telescopes to reveal new truths about the universe. We also end up revealing a more beautiful universe than we could see if we use only our eyes. It is as a clear sign as any that truth and beauty belong together and ultimately have their source in the same Creator God. Karen Ober, professor of astronomy at Harvard, also expressed excitement at what scientific implications may result from the James Webb Space Telescope. The one James Webb Space Telescope image that really stands out for me is the one showing a large group of extremely distant galaxies lensing the light of even more distant ones. It is amazing, simply amazing, that we now have the tools to look back to close to the beginning of our universe. It lets us see anew how grand of a place we inhabit. The universe is really the most wonderful icon of God's infinity and eternity that I know. And the James Webb uh, 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 Telescope is showing us why. The James Webb Space Telescope that I'm most excited about is, however, the ability to acquire the spectra of exoplanets as well as the planet-forming disks that we know surround young stars whose planetary systems are still assembling. These spectra will reveal how often planets form from, from water-rich material and perhaps give us the first glimpse of a habitable uh, planet outside of the solar system. At the end of the day, I'm just grateful that we have been given such a beautiful universe and the reason to peer into its hidden truths and beauties. So how about modern science? Did you know that St. Thomas Aquinas' teacher was St. Albert the Great? St. Albert the Great was a biologist. Why should that surprise us? Medieval man believed that God made the world as an ordered whole. 
they learned it both from Scripture and from the pagan thinkers such as Aristotle. Don't think that science burst onto the scene with Galileo, Copernicus. Copernicus died in the 16th century. But he was a priest astronomer at a Polish university founded in the Middle Ages. He wasn't even the first man to suggest that the Earth orbited the Sun. Others had ventured the suggestion. Most prominent was the later medieval Nicholas of Cusa, a philosopher and cardinal in the church. Let me just give you a couple of brilliant scientists who people forget they were devout Roman Catholic Christians. Let me give you just seven of history's most brilliant scientists, people who we seem to forget were Catholic as well. Number one, Louis Pasteur. He's the inventor of pasteurization. Number two, Gregory Mendel. He's the father of genetics. Number three, St. Giuseppe Moscati. He's a pioneer in treating diabetes with insulin. Number four, Louis de Broglie. He's a Nobel Prize winner in quantum mechanics. Number five, Father George Lemaitre. He's the father of the Big Bang Theory. Number six, Jerome Lejeune. He discovered the cause of Down syndrome. And number seven, Galileo Galilei. He's the father of modern astronomy. That's a wrap. Hey, we're not called to be saints. I mean, we're not called to be scientists, excuse me. We're called to be saints. If you're a scientist, become a saint. Don't miss the opportunity. Set yourselves apart from this corrupt generation. Be saints. You were not made to fit in. You were born to stand out. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And remember the Terry and Jesse show. The only vax that we're going to push here is called the blood of Jesus. And the only virus we're going to talk about is the virus of sin. That's a wrap. St. Father Pio says, pray hope and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful and will hear your prayer. See you next Christ time. Next. Remember, make sure that before you die, as your coach told you in Little League, leave it all out on the field. God bless you. Keep the faith.